stand firm and unwavering when we say Black Lives Matter. Okay, so welcome to the Truth to Power Show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan, and this is our final live broadcast uh, coming for you from 199 Cook Street in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and we're here with Katie Mumford, who is an astrologer, uh, born in England. She's uh, since split her time between New York City, Hawaii, and the UK. Uh, Katie has an MA in psychology and education, specializing in spiritually, spirituality, mind, and body from Teachers College, Columbia University. She's currently a master's uh, candidate at the Forest Center for Evolutionary Astrology and has been studying with globally esteemed astrologer Stephen Forrest for five years, over five years. Um, Katie has become interested in the tarot. We'll talk a little bit about that while studying at Columbia University. Um, and a study of Jungian archetypal symbolism combined with her passion for drawing and painting led her to create her own, um, her first tarot deck. Um, also, she's a yoga teacher and she's been an undergraduate degree leading to social um, anthropology program in England. Um, then she moved to Hawaii. We'll talk a little bit about your background uh, now, so we'll kind of skip over this. But anyway, the point is, um, yeah, talking about your background. Welcome, Katie. Welcome. Hi, thank Welcome. you. Welcome. Hi, hi. Hello. So great to be here. So great to have you here. Thank you for, for having For a final, me. final live broadcast. Yeah. yeah. Special so, show. Yeah, yeah. So um, why don't we start off... Um, why don't we do like a tower reading? Why don't we do a three card tower draw okay. for like um for the for the show or something? I don't know, we'll do it for the show and then see how the see what's what's on the outlook for the next fifty nine minutes. Okay. Yeah. So, so let's have a look at what is the highest potential of this show that we can be on today. Yeah. Okay. So we have the five of cups reversed. So I guess it's a time to feel emotionally satisfied and to feel like we're cultivating balance and emotional truth and personal truth. And we also have the fool. So there's an element of exploration and freedom and excitement that we can explore. And the fool also never knows where it's going. It's connected to the planet Uranus. And so it has this feeling of being shocking and new and we don't know what adventure we're going to go on, so we can see what happens. Nice, nice. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, so it's great. I think that, uh, yeah, I knew that. Let me see the deck. I just wanted to tell the vision. This is the one that you created, right? Uh, no, this, no is this, is this is one of my one favorite of decks. Yeah. Oh, cool. This is called the Mother Peace Tarot. It's made in the 70s by these nice. women who led, like, the women's spirituality movement, the circular cards. Yeah, so, I noticed that. I noticed that circular cards, and they all have like a kind of a, a simple drawings. Uh, like uh, they're 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 colored and all that, but it has like it's uh, what what medium do you know? Or is like um, I think it's just drawing and painting, painting and they yeah. were reimagining the tarot as yeah, if it were um, a matrilineal society rather yeah. than like more patrilineal. Yeah. So yeah, cool, cool. like a big kind of like a feminist deck. Yeah. So why don't we start off a little bit with your trainings? Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us a little bit about wh- where you're coming from training wise, then you could weave in a little bit of your own chart now that maybe, maybe that was influencing your, um, you know, decisions to do pursue this path or that path. Okay. Those kind of thing. Yeah. So I've done a lot of trainings. I started out in yoga, um, and I studied with the masters of Ashtanga and Iyengar yoga when I was living in Hawaii and Kind of from there, just continue to study holistic health, 
studied Ayurveda. And this is all built on a background in social anthropology. When I was at high school, I went to the United Nations school. So I got really into understanding different cultures and like understanding the social and political movements within life in the city and life in the world too, because I did my final two years of high school in New York. And then, um, so yeah, then I was in Hawaii and then I came to New York, back to New York again from Hawaii and I became, studied psychology at Columbia. It was a program that integrated sort of the scientific and the spiritual together. And the purpose was to understand how to create realities where feminine and like masculine wisdom can come into integration. Yeah, really great, really great. And uh, one of the aspects was evolutionary uh, astrology. So yes. tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So yeah, throughout my all my studies for the past like five years, I've been studying evolutionary astrology with Stephen Forrest, who kind of created the the practice and the discipline. And it's all about astrology for the soul. And so we understand when we look at the birth chart, like there's a reason why you were born at a specific time. So we look at past lives, your karma, and also your dharma. So how can we come into a space where we understand like why you're here and for what like how does your chart tell us how you can like work through your life in the most like productive way so did when you started to explore your own chart is is do you find it easier or more difficult than with other people's like what is your what is the relatively like when you or you explore people you really know very intimately like what is the what is the relative ease or difficulty between reading someone else's chart someone you just mad or yeah it's different like so for my own chart i probably know my own chart most intimately because that's mm. the chart i learned from initially and that's what brought me into astrology i just wanted to know what my chart meant and then the people close to me i learned their charts i see how it interacts so i know those charts very closely too but when i'm working with a new person or a new client it's like i can know someone quite quickly through that but it deepens and mm. no chart is like obvious from the get-go like mm. it's more how does someone work with that chart and then helping someone determine like what the potential is within that chart yeah i really feel like you know for people who listen to the show uh last episode we were talking about non-duality now the mind creates reality um you know um you're talking a little deeply about that and you know the idea that the the kind of the the uh, misconception uh, or kind of the common misconception that like somewhere out there the the planets are having a direct like in the way that my hand moves a uh, moves the the chart or something like that mm-hmm. like that kind of influence mm-hmm. the planets having rather I think of it as energies you know energy centers in our in our consciousness mm-hmm. and how they may correspond in some ways to the physical reality like the the idea that and tell me what you think about this but and if this corresponds with your understanding um, but like the idea that Energies manifest in physical form. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. of course, these big energies are going to manifest as planets right. and manifest as, as, as astro- astronomical phenomena. And then, you know, the energy signature beneath it that oh, everything is energy mm-hmm. uh, really, you know, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's two things. I think mm-hmm. like some people believe that the planets do have a direct force mm-hmm. and like they have an energetic frequency that mm-hmm. has a pull on our bodies. It's very physical. And that might be true, but I think it's more that the planets reflect our consciousness. And so they're like symbolically powerful. And it's the hermetic principle or like the pagan principle as above, so below. Mm. And so it's more that the planets are like a guide because there is a relationship between how the planets move and how we're experiencing life. Yeah. 
So yeah, I think I guess I'm somewhere in the middle because I feel like the idea is that energy is both like physical and like in our consciousness. So mm-hmm. I, I guess some meeting ground, like in Buddhism, they talk about the middle way, mm-hmm. the between the extreme of you know scientific materialism where everything is like mind and body are separate to the point where mind and body are infused. So um, I guess I guess I, I understand what you're saying. Like there's different extremes. Yeah, definitely, and yeah. I think. Definitely the mind and body are infused. Yeah. Like that, and that's the big kind of truth and wisdom I think we're going to step into as a society in the next hundred years. Yeah. I think that's where we're held back a little by science as the way it is now, is that we don't understand the connection between the mind and body. Yeah. But as we come to integrate more of like feminine wisdom, which I think mm. has happened since kind of 2020, mm. because we had the alignment of Pluto and Capricorn with Mars and the South Node, it's kind of like the falling away like a patriarchal or like separatist view of the world and we're coming more into understand like oh like our mind does influence our reality like our body is important our health is important there's a connection between our mind our body and our spirit yeah and i definitely think like the connection between the spiritual realm and the physical realm is deep and mirrors it mm. like one another perfectly so. yeah i'm sure a lot of our listeners for this specific episode will be familiar with astrology but why don't you slow down a little bit in the transition you mentioned, the transitions you mentioned uh, more recently uh, to kind of go into like how um, the past few years, the transits, uh, you know, the planetary alignments or the, or the kind of transitory energies have influenced and where we're headed again. Can you go over that again? Yeah, yeah. So obviously we've been through a huge cultural shift in the past yeah. couple of years with covid and everything that's brought to the surface and astrologically we can see that being impacted by two specific transits i think some people would say more but i think two the first is saturn going into aquarius so that aligned totally with like the march covid beginning Mm. and saturn is a planet of boundaries it's a planet of karma and so when it went into Aquarius, which is an earth sign, we're experiencing this need to like socially distance, like the air between us has to be greater and we can't breathe air with someone else. So the symbolism is like our connection with air is being sort of separated in order for us to experience some kind of karma, in order for us to gain mastery in the realm of Aquarius. So first we experience like the trauma or the shadow of Aquarius, which would be aloofness isolation individualism but ultimately the evolutionary potential within having saturn in aquarius is like how can we work together as a collective and i think perhaps that's what's going to come out of this three-year period of saturn in aquarius is like we have all of what well some of us will have evolved to really connect to the collective rather than individualism and that's like the historical shift that well I definitely think. i think it's forced a lot of people may be resistant to that yeah. Um. In the past few years, to really tune into the collective, but then of course they may return to their normal like thinking later on. But I think these, at least during the height of the pandemic, you know, we were all kind. Of, it was just amazing to me how there was a there was a, you know, that that um, solidarity in the sense of like the global community was experiencing yeah. uh, a major global event which hadn't happened. You know, I don't know. I can't even think of a time where a global event has happened. Right. You like know, every person like on the world earth is World War II. I mean, I don't know. Not even World War II because there are many places that were probably not affected by World War II. But I guess that, that was comparable. Yeah. You know, I don't know. But um, so, uh, yeah. So we're here to talk a little bit about charts as well and give you a chance to uh, to practice or give, give the audience <laughs> a chance to 
to practice with me rather or for me to hear <laughs> um you know uh for us to hear your kind of take on a chart mm-hmm. so i volunteered myself i guess as a as a um as a test subject so we'll have you kind of like talk a little bit about what you experienced with my chart and also you mentioned the chart of the show um which is now ending its live broadcasting yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yes okay so we can start with you yeah um so you're a leo sun and a libra moon and a pisces rising so before I get into it, like, how do you relate to, do you know astrology? A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, I, I took some courses in it, but uh, none of it really retained for me. So I, I think like, um, as far as what resonates with me, definitely like the Leo in the sense of being like kind of environments like this, you know, mm-hmm. getting a chance to be practice extroversion, uh, extroversion, um, and practice being in the spotlight. Like, you know, obviously I like the, I like the attention and all that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, so I just have that, that aspect. But also, I consider myself pretty spiritual in the sense that, you know, emotions and, and spirituality run deep. So uh, Pisces rising is very important. And I like to balance it, I guess. Mm-hmm. So that, 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 uh, counterbalance. I think the moon has to do with the mother or something. Yes. Yeah. And Tell like your that. mood over a lifetime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good, good. And that was Libra, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 So how's that? I can see the Libra in you. Yeah. For sure. You. Like yeah. there's like this, like, pleasant kind of mood that you approach things with and you're friendly and so there's a lot of potential like but we have to ask like why were you born with a libra moon yeah so and your libra moon is in the seventh house so it's like there's something like within you that needs to connect with people Mm. and there's something within you that needs to create balance and harmony because libra's evolutionary intention is to find peace and to like find serenity so in a past life it's likely you were coming from a space that was that felt a little bit more, um, maybe more like violent or like just mm. struggling. So this lifetime you're here to explore how can I create serenity in the world. And what's interesting is that your moon is conjunct Pluto. And Pluto is the planet of depth. And it's the planet of being really truthful with ourselves and others. So if the moon is our needs and Pluto is our depth and truth, it's like you need to be truthful. There's a need to create truth in a way where it inspires relationships but also that it's pleasant and serene so it's like this interesting balance of like paradox in a way because truth sometimes is painful and yet there's like a unique ability for you to bring out truth in a way where it's uh, like warm and like friendly nice nice thank you thank you which makes sense with the show because it's like truth to power and you have people coming in here and they're sharing their truth but it still has that like jovial friendly uplifting quality to it yeah and especially even my poetry like as i mentioned we did a live um uh broadcast we did a a facebook live an instagram live Mm -hmm. or whatever it was facebook live um and then we did a quick thing and i offered you uh some of my poetry and my poetry as well breakdown and answer has to do with struggles i had in the past and you know, kind of dealing with it in an open way and mm-hmm. being truthful about whatever I've struggled with, you know, in, in the poetic form. Yeah. So I think that really resonates with what you're saying. Yeah. Totally. And yeah. Libra is also about art and creating art. Mm. Art's an important avenue to experience balance and harmony and peace. So yeah. to have a way to express yourself and express your truth in an artful way is like very soul nourishing and like taking good care of yourself. That's like a good soul need. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and then you could, uh, yeah, anything else coming up for you as far as like the, then you're talking about the chart for the show as well. Yes. Yeah, how does that blend in? Well, the chart for the show, the show's a Scorpio. So 
again, coming to this idea of truth, because Scorpio is like always interested in getting to the truth and making the unconscious conscious. And so the chart, the show has like four planets in Scorpio. It has, um, let's see, it has the sun, the moon, Jupiter and Venus in Scorpio. So again, it kind of mirrors your chart because uh, Jupiter and Venus are very like pleasant planets, but then Scorpio can be a little like more interested in truth and reality. So it has that balance again between getting to the truth of something and getting to the heart of something, but in a very like kind of like a gentle way where it's like enjoyable to listen to and enjoyable to be around. It's quite artful. Yeah, thank you, thank you. It's so interesting how like connecting different charts, connecting different, and just for the listeners' knowledge, we created the show chart by the first broadcast day and time. Mm -hmm. So when we broadcast November 16th, uh, 2017, 9 a.m., was the first broadcast um, that Radio Brooklyn aired of the Truth of Power show, and we used that time as like a birthday, Mm -hmm. if you will, for a birth chart, Um, and that was generated from that. And then, um, and you know, the charts... um, kind of have these different 12 houses mm-hmm. and they have all the different planets aligned according to the sky. It's kind of mirrors right. the, the visible sky, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, yeah. So the birth chart is, you can make a birth chart for anything. Mm. And so it can be a corporation, a business, a person. And it's generally like the moment of inception. Like the, in a person, it's the first breath. And it takes a snapshot of the sky when you are born. And it locates where all the planets are. It determines your rising sign according to what signs on the eastern horizon. Mm. And then the houses determine, make it more personal. And so everyone's chart is different. And every chart has like different potential and has manifested physically. Like everything's manifested physically for a specific reason to fulfill an evolutionary intention, which we can see with the north and south node of the chart. Yeah, tell us, tell us what is the north and south node again? So the north and south node are the, um, they're like nodes of the moon. Mm. They're hypothetical points, but they have a lot of potential to show us um, where something like the karma, the south node is the karma and the things of the past. And it's like a bad habit, but also it's the gifts that we bring in because we've already sort of mastered it. And then the north node is the the path, like the evolutionary path. It's like the suggestion of how to, and liberate yourself from your own shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. So, uh, yeah, that's also a way in which we can get our inroad into how, um, you know, I guess I don't want to say imagination, but I guess like imagination might be a way of putting it. Like, you know, the, the energies are like a little bit kind of like, not exactly, but like the, when you talk about the South and North Node, they're almost like imagined points. Is what I'm getting, right? They're like mathematically calculated, but they're not, there's no physical, there's no physical thing that exists. Yeah, it's interesting. It is a little bit like energy signatures Mm -hmm. um, within those realms. So I guess it's interesting to have a bridge because I think a lot of people who are resistant to astrology don't understand that it really has to do more to do with energies Mm -hmm. than, you know, um, you know, within ourselves. Like, yeah, I've talked a little bit about that, like how within ourselves we have the whole cosmos, you know, and. And your beliefs on that, or your kind of view on that, yeah. Right, like, we are, like, the macrocosm and the microcosm, mm. like, we're both at the same time. And what's outside is inside. Like, mm. what manifest, what we're dealing with on the inside often manifests outwardly. Um, and in terms of the planets, it's just like a map of your consciousness, like a map of your inner universe. And so when we look at what planets do different things, it's like just a map of, like, your inner architects. So... 
the sun is like how do you get energy and that reflects how well, the sun is in our solar system so it's like what gives you life what gives you nourishment what like gets you up in the morning and so when we're depressed it's like the sun isn't shining so if someone comes to me as a client and they're depressed it's like okay like how can we bring more light into your life like how can we get your sun sign to feel nourished so that you have energy mm-hmm. to move through your life so for leos for example like you're a leo um you would need to like you need people you need like an audience you need someone to interact with and like to engage with and to like acknowledge your brightness in order to feel nourished mm. and you also need like um you need people that are like you need like uplifting like you need like that kind of nourishment because in the past with the leo sun sign it's like in a past life people probably weren't that nice to you so you manifest in this life to be like the center of attention and to be like appreciated and acknowledged and like played with in a way yeah and i think it's good like how you meld in the archetypal understanding just to bring in Jungian understandings. Um, tell us a little bit about how, like, um, I'll talk a little bit about, if you talk a little bit about archetypes and how that plays into, um, you know, just talk, can you talking about that. Yeah, so archetypes, so astrology is also based in myths. So astrology has been around for probably since humans could make meaning out of things. So I imagine like 4,000, 6,000 years ago, however long, the moon has always meant something. Like we understood that if the moon was a new moon, then it was a good time to plant seeds. If it was a full moon, it was a good time to celebrate. And so over time, we've always, as humans, have created stories around what each planet means. And the more that we've discovered planets, the more stories we've had to ascribe to them. So in like the Western tradition, we called our planets after the Greek gods so we can find like the mythic reality of the planets and often they represent archetypes. So the myths are always translations of archetypes in our consciousness. And so we have like Venus, which is the archetype of like love. So how do we connect with people? And we have Mercury, like how do we communicate? How do we think? And so every planet represents an archetype. And then um, that's like the functionings of our consciousness. And depending on where a planet is in terms of like what sign it's in in your birth chart, it determines what energy you bring to that Mercury sign or that Venus sign. So, yeah. Yeah, I kind of feel like it's like uh, the colors you're working with and each person is that painting that brings together all those archetypes into a specific formation or specific, um, as you're as we're illustrating for many people, I don't know why I feel the need to... Um, Kind of exp- over explain it, but I just another way to explain, like illustrate it, so that then you know I feel like there's so much cultural misunderstanding um, that needs to be addressed. That you know it's good yeah. to like uh, some of the things people talk about. I know buzzing about is like Mercury retrograde, mm-hmm. which is something that's coming up, I believe, in September or something. Yeah, we're yeah. like just about to go into yeah, the Mercury shadow period. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that and how that might influence, or again, yeah, and if you could address some of the misconceptions. Um, my understanding is. From the from the chatter and also from a little bit of training that has to do with communication. So yes, yeah. so Mercury is to do with communication. It's how our mind works. It's also perception, and Mercury goes retrograde three times a year. I think in pop culture, Mercury retrograde is seen as something to be feared or like everything's going to go wrong, and there is potential of that. Like Mercury rules travel. It rules, rules postal services. It rules speaking. It rules emails. So like. Yes, we're more inclined to make mistakes in that way, but there's like a much deeper meaning to Mercury retrograde. So when something goes retrograde, it's moving backwards or it appears to be moving backwards, but actually it's moving quicker. So it's just like about perception from the earth. But either way, when something goes retrograde, it turns inward and it's time to like reflect 
effect on what the part of the chart that it's going backwards upon. So it's Mercury retrograde is more a time to review and reflect whatever area in the chart it's do it's like imprinting on. So Mercury retrograde is going to be retrograding in Libra next month. So we're going to be thinking about how do we create balance in the world? How do we create harmony? How do we create um, connection? Like what relationships are important and that it feels important right now in general. We're also going into a Mars retrograde. Like yesterday we went into a Mars shadow period and that's a six month like experience. Oh, wow. Um, um, Because Mars moves a little bit more slowly than Mercury because Mercury is like our fastest moving planet. Um, So with Mars retrograde, Mars is going to be retrograding in Gemini. So wherever Gemini is in your chart, it's going to be impacting how you act and how you think about what you're fighting for in that area of the chart. So it's a great time to be patient because when Mars goes retrograde, it's like any actions that we take can kind of fold backwards in on ourselves if we're not being truthful about what we really want. So it's just time to cultivate what we really want. Mm. Um, and also for the listeners, I guess Mars has to do with conflict or interpersonal relationships. Um, Is that Mars, right? Or what is it? I mean, yeah, it's to do with conflict, but it's also to do with um, like, what do we fight for? Like, mm. what do we act towards? Yeah, like it's war, like, right? Yeah, like right. War, yeah. it, but it, I mean, it can indicate war, but it can also indicate like, well, like, are you a spiritual warrior? Like, yeah. Do you fight for your family? Like, do you fight for like, do you fight to make that a great space? Do you fight for your work? It's like whatever house Mars falls in, it's like that's what you fight for. So. Yeah, like my Mars is in the seventh house. So it's like I f- and it's conjunct Mercury. So like my mind is always like fighting for spiritual truth because it's oh, yeah. in Pisces. So it's like yeah, that's a lot of whammies there, right? Because Uranus <laughs> and uh, Pisces are like both the spiritual fluid water, right? I think yeah, yeah. Like Pisces is like the infinite ocean of consciousness. Yeah, and like rules mysticism and or is it Neptune? Neptune is the ho- is the ruler of. Neptune's uh, the Pisces. ruler of Pisces. Pisces. Yeah, right, yeah. Right, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So then, um, also, we were talking uh, in your um, pre-interview question, or also before in our in your bio, we were talking a little bit about um, the influence of yoga and uh, the, the uh, Hindu, Indian uh, Ayurveda and um, Iyengar yoga. Um, you know all this kind of stuff, and like how you know I know. Um, you know, Western astrology is radically different than Vedic astrology. I know you're more you're more trained in, in Western astrology, but uh, if you talk a little bit about how the yoga and the and the Ayurveda has informed your understanding of uh, of, of astrology, yeah. So I feel like yoga, like yogic philosophy, and Ayurveda really was like a foundational knowledge for me and taught me how to think about energy and how energy moves and the connection between mind and body and spirit. Yeah. And Ayurveda taught me a lot about uh, elements and like how different elements impact the body. And so that was like a significant sort of foundational understanding of how to explore different ways of knowing, but like integrate it into like Western experiences. Mm, mm. Yeah, it's interesting because there's only a few um, kind of, you know, in the Western traditions, there's like older mystical traditions, but. Nowadays, we now and like you know, there's been like waves of like, um, but there's less emphasis on mysticism as in the West in, in general. Mm-hmm. You know, more since the you know rise of 
technology and um, scientific revolution, I feel like the West is becoming more and more focused in on like scientific materialism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have that dichotomy of the West East being, you know, Eastern philosophies, philosophically at least, being more. Would you say, would you agree? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Like the West kind of made science its religion. Yeah. And um, before that, like the like Christian religion and Catholic religion was very strict and yeah. very much like anti witchcraft. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's like a huge sort of disconnect between like spiritual realities mm. in Western culture in a way where in the East those realities are always have always been like acknowledged and appreciated and like woven into cultural narratives. Because even in the Western traditions of religious traditions, a lot of times they're practicing extreme I mean that was still true a little bit in India, but they're extreme asceticism in the sense like you know, the beating the flesh, you know, like mm-hmm. kind of separating the flesh from the mind, right. you know, that's kind of asceticism, which I think a lot of the East had moved past. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the Eastern traditions had kind of, at least at Buddhism, you know, kind of was the major breakaway from asceticism. And I think that influenced Hinduism over the thousands of years, mm-hmm. you know, kind of break away from strictly like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, and it was like the, the kind of, Desecration of the flesh as opposed to the right. elevation of the body. Right. Of like it's more, yeah. yeah, like in the West, like the body was like seen as yeah. like evil, yeah, disgusting. Exactly. Yeah. And like, yeah. <laughs> so, and then, but I feel like Buddhism is like the middle path. It's like mm. the body exists. Like we're not our body, mm. but it's like exists and we live in it. It's a yeah. much more balanced perspective. Yeah. It's like a manifestation of our mind, but also that might, that's something we can have control over. Like yeah. It empowers us rather. Totally. As like, yeah, we can change our mind, change our, our environment, change right, our... Right, right. Yeah. So it's interesting. And then um, we, we were talking a little bit about um, NLP coach came mm-hmm. up. Um, I had to Google that, Neuro Linguistic. Yeah, Neuro Linguistic Programming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about how... And also your, the, with the yoga, you have the trauma-informed as well. So, yeah, so recently yeah. did trauma-informed. Yeah. So um, that was really interesting because... I found that in the yoga I was doing in the past, it was like very strict and I needed at that time in my life something that was more like empowering or more like just like gave me like less rules basically. Mm. And with the trauma sensitive, it allowed me to like move my body in ways that felt like really good to me rather than ways that was like adhering to like a strict regime, Mm. which was much better for me at that period of time. And also with trauma-informed yoga, it's just a great template in order to work with people that have trauma and to be like trauma-sensitive, mm. um, which I think we all need right now because trauma is so prevalent in our society and it's becoming much more like talked about and worked through, which is good. Mm, thank you, thank you. And it's good to like move into that, as you as you've been saying, um, all this interview, you know, moving away from the patriarchal, masculine, toxic masculine, Kind of idea of controlling, the idea of nurturing, the idea of fostering growth. Um, you know, like as opposed to, um, I think the patriarchy is a lot of times has to do with fixing things, right? As opposed to nurturing, you know. Definitely, yeah. 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 And I feel as well the patriarchy understands most things as linear. So, mm. like we're going to a destination, success is X. Whereas I think what we're moving into is understanding things as cyclical and like the ebb and flow of time, the ebb and flow of our bodies, how we relate to our bodies. And like even with like schedules and work, it's like we're shifting towards 
understanding what works for us rather than like what fits in a box. Mm. Yeah, I like that quote you quoted in our pre-interview questions by Thich Nhat Hanh. Uh, you are, you're already everything you're seeking. Mm-hmm. Everything is within. Um, if you tell us a little bit about how you find that as a way for your empowerment. I mean, it's obvious, but I want to get you to tell us a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like I love what that quote. It's, um, it's just like, there's nothing outside of us that can like, mm. complete us. Mm. What everything's within and like, there's nothing more we need to do. It's just like, how can we feel more into our truth and understand our truth more and like sink into what makes sense to us? Which is why astrology is amazing because it shows us, like it gives us a path and like a direction and a map in order to understand like how what works for us and who we are helps us define ourselves. So in your, in your um, bio, it talks a little bit about splitting your time between, you know, three different locations. And I, mm-hmm. I'm curious, um, I mentioned that this would be a, a theme because, uh, you know, obviously where you're living in the world Mm-hmm. actually has an influence over you know your progress chart i mean mm-hmm. your birth chart is fixed but you know your progress chart where if i were living my life in like somewhere else in hawaii or la or whatever mm-hmm. it is um you know i would have a different life obviously not just functionally but also like energetically yeah it would be different totally um so tell us a bit how spending your time between these two places how does that impact and for people who travel a lot like how does that impact their um, energetic signatures. Yeah. I mean, the chart changes a lot when we travel. So mm. we still always have a fundamental birth chart. Like we can't get away from our karma. But when we go to a different place, it we can work with astrology in a number of ways. But the main way is like relocational astrology. And it imagines what would it be like if you were born in that place, but at the same mm. date, same time, but just different location. Mm. So your rising sign changes, mm. all your houses changes. So when I'm let's take for Hawaii for example so I was born in England and my chart was a Virgo rising but Hawaii is literally on the other side of the world so my whole chart switched and I was a Pisces rising so all my energies are like inverted there which is nice because my chart is like quite extreme and like unbalanced so when I'm in Hawaii it's like I get balance and integration by being there and like peace being there but different planets go into different places so like my Saturn would go into my 12th house when I'm there so it's like I lose boundaries and I go beyond myself which is great for like spiritual illumination or like exploring spiritual pursuits but maybe not the best for like building a business so coming to New York is helpful because Saturn goes on my midheaven and my midheaven is like work like achieving something so it's like when I'm in New York I'm always like doing something of like building something like getting a good education building my business so yeah but it can get like tiring in new york because like saturn is always sort of right over my head mm-hmm. so it's like oh, it can get heavy mm-hmm. but like yeah. yeah so when you move to different places you can employ different energies so like i think i'm like completed my saturn lessons now so i'm ready to leave new york so like mm-hmm. i'm like okay well like let's go to la like what happens in la like oh okay like my seventh house is illuminated there. So I like meet good clients when I'm there. So it's like different periods of your life. It can be good to go to different places. Nice, nice. So, um, yeah, we were talking a little bit about, um, yeah, um, was that now you, it says here, um, you had, you wrote a dissertation, right? So it says undergraduate, but did you mean you wrote it in, in, in the bachelor's or you wrote it in the, the master teacher's college? Right? Um, I did it for my bachelor's. Bachelor's. Wow. Wow. Yeah, um, that's interesting. And then you did uh, individual change for social transformation. Can you tell a bit about that and the kind of connecting that? 
So like how the possibilities of the individual, like from what you were just saying, made me think of that, like, you know, change, opening up oneself, you know, can open up to social change. Yeah. Right. Like, so when I was leaving, doing my bachelor's, I got really into yoga at that time. And I was really curious how individual change creates social change. So I was also living in New York at the time too. So I would come back and I would do like my study here, did research with the urban yogis. And that was a program that was in one of the most, uh, the neighborhoods with the most gun violence. Mm. And they taught some teenagers yoga. And within like a month, two months of teaching these teenagers yoga, gun violence was reduced in the area. And then within like a year, they taught them how to teach yoga. And so they brought yoga into that community with these teenagers teaching and gun violence again went down. And so this isn't like a unique example. There's like places in Africa where this has happened. There's places in um, like in like gang, big gang violence in the South America, where it's also how yoga's had this huge effect. So I was curious, like, what what is it that the individual, like, how can individual change create political change? And the problem with, like, Western knowledge practices as they are now is, like, there's no way to understand this because it's, like, spiritual, basically. Mm. So, like, Western knowledge practices don't even have a language. Like, I couldn't find astrological, uh, sorry, anthropological language to explain it. Mm. But it was real. It was, like, a really true phenomenon. Yeah. Um, but I carried that through in my life. Like the more I think we open ourselves to like peace and the more we open ourselves to whatever qualities we think are important, we have a ripple effect all around us. And then the more we share our message, the more effect we have on other people. And that like just spreads a message of like truth and power or whatever is important to you. It's so interesting when you talk about the limits of the language. I think it's interesting because I actually got this book called why does the world exist mm. and uh, like i'm reading it i'm like wait a minute like it doesn't even acknowledge the possibility mm-hmm. that the world doesn't really exist independent of the mind you know like mm-hmm. in other words like it's just acknowledging that that it's just going proceeding with the uh, scientific materialist idea that there's an external reality and of course they're going to do this but at the same time they could at least acknowledge the possibility that without a perceiver, there is no perceived, but they don't want to even get into that, you know? Right, because there's yeah. no way in science to, yeah. like, prove consciousness. Yeah. I'm not bashing science. I think it's a yeah. great way of yeah. knowing. It's just not the only way of knowing. Yeah. And it's, like, incre- creates incredible things on so many levels. But when science is, like, the only way of knowing, mm. we implore, employ in a culture, like, yeah. of course we're going to have, like, climate change and not how to do it and know how to deal with yeah. it. Mm. So I think of, like, Native Hawaiians and... um native americans and they have this whole languages around how the earth moves and breathes and what the earth needs Mm. and this incredible like subtle sensitivity to Mm. how the weather changes or how oceans change like native hawaiians 400 4000 years ago found a way to navigate from tahiti to hawaii Mm. hawaii like that's insane and they did it all through their own internal navigation systems and in the west it's like we don't even have the like capacity to like our culture doesn't even let us think in those ways but Mm. imagine if we could integrate like science with those native ways of knowing i think we would like develop some solutions and some balance in the world Mm. yeah yeah i think that we definitely need to understand that um every system has its limits Mm -hmm. and like you know um have humility around that Mm -hmm. like have humility around that if we're reaching a point where we're not able to um answer a question 
consider the fact the framing of the question is contributing towards that limitation. Right. So right. it's like the question itself may be not be the right approach. Right. You know? And like sometimes we have a habit of like reducing things or mm. analyzing things. Like I do this with astrology even. This is like we can analyze something to something so small. Mm. But actually we sometimes we need a big picture. Sometimes we need to understand everything in unison and like connection with one another instead of like reduced down to one single molecule yeah i definitely agree with you uh, you on the idea that everyone should go on silent retreat oh my god yeah. um yeah it's like a great way to go introspective mm -hmm. to really stop the chitter chatter so and to really yeah do really go into that deep um deep place of like um yeah have you been on silent retreat actually, i haven't but <laughs> i'm kind of pumping it up just to, to, yeah i, I highly have. recommend it. I, well, I, I did a, a day where i did the silent retreat mm -hmm. one day mm -hmm. which is kind of brief but as far as like extended silent retreat goes i did yeah. one day but okay that's it, yeah. i did like a 10 day one when yeah. i was like 22 maybe yeah in bali it was like yeah. a pretty tame silent yeah. retreat like i've had some people do ones where they're like not allowed to read like not allowed to like can only just oh, sit uh, in meditation like vipassana yeah and, like yeah. yeah but mine was a bit more tame so it was like you could still do yoga you could still read if you wanted to yeah. but you just couldn't talk to people and yeah. just having that break just i needed it at the time and it really opened my mind to like i don't know silence something yeah. about silence that like helped me connect to my truth way more deeply I remember at the time being like, everyone needs to go on a silent retreat. Like so many of the world's problems would be solved by yeah. being on silent retreat. But like a lot of people can't sit with themselves. So that's yeah. like challenging. But maybe if more people could sit with themselves, it would be better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because actually I did a monk for a month, uh, which is in uh, India, the Tibetan monasteries. Mm -hmm. So now it's coming back to me. But uh, So I did like, they, they did like the monastery stay, temple stay. Mm -hmm. Both I did the temple stay both in... Um, in the northern India and in the Dharamsala and around and the Himalaya, some of the um, Himalaya, some of the temples there, monasteries there, as well as in Thailand. Mm -hmm. So we did some brief, like day long, you know, mm -hmm. sound stuff and 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 chanting as well as like um, separately chanting and then also like some brief vows of silence, like for the day or for the like period, like a few hours. But cool. yeah, it was very impactful though. It was good to stay, especially for someone like me. I'm very like eager to like keep. The chitta going, so <laughs> you know it's good to like um, just quiet the mind and and yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So then, um, yeah. So then, if you talk a little bit about like also, we were talking a little bit about your own birth chart and mm -hmm. uh, the things you learned about. You know, you're talking a lot about dharma and uh, karma, mm -hmm. uh, the past lives and your duty and, and your obligation in this life. Mm -hmm. So. Um, what did you, what, what, how did that, like, you know, it was like when you, when you were approaching astrology, you probably had your own ideas and, mm -hmm. and then how, tell us a bit of your progress of, of learning or discovering your, 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 your life's purpose, you know? So I've always been very keen to understand my life's purpose ever since I was like 18. Me and my best friend were always like, what's our purpose? Like, why are we here? And we we're always answering, asking these questions. Like, Who are we? Why are we here? Like, what are we doing with our lives? And I think that astrology like gave me a map to kind of help me ask those questions and deepen those questions within myself. And um, yeah, so with the chart, it's like the north and south node really like ground me in understanding. Like I'm here to lead change. I'm here to connect to like depth and be like honest about what's unconscious, what's conscious and like bring up, like be 
like fearless almost in like the pain of life but still maintain like happiness at the same time and be jovial with it too because mm. my north node's in scorpio conjunct pluto so it's like i'm just here to like go deeper and deeper and deeper into what it means to be human what it means to be a soul incarnated in a body nice nice thank you thank you um so now we were talking a little bit about some of the um uh what is it the uh current we were talking a little bit about current trends current transits mm -hmm. um generationally mm -hmm. how things have been um the transfer of roles of each generation and the conflicts so um yeah do you have do you have any thoughts on like uh you were talking a little bit about this in the beginning about how uh we're moving into a d different period yeah. um let me see if I uh then just go over it again and then we can go into like how generations generationally how the past two generations of So yeah. one of the planets that shows us there's like three generational planets yeah. Pluto, Neptune and Uranus. Yeah. Um how we understand generations in terms of like Gen Z, millennial generally aligns with uh Pluto's transits. So um so I'm a millennial, so I'm a Pluto in Scorpio generation. Mm -hmm. You're what generation? Are you generation? I'm guess uh, Zenial. I'm like on the cusp. Oh, okay. On the cusp, yeah, because okay. I know they say that between um, seventy-seven and eighty-one mm -hmm. is like the cusp between Gen X and uh, millennial. Okay. So I'm like seventy-eight. So it's like just in the cusp, yeah. So like you're more of the Pluto and Libra generation. Yeah. You have like the Scorpio elements to you too. So. Yeah. There's also, there's that, and then boomers are like Pluto and Leo. So when we think of a boomer, we think of them as being like really like self-centered in a way because mm. like Pluto always manifests as like the most, um, like the shadow of a sign, like the almost like the worst of the signs. So yeah. It's like Pluto and Leo, okay, that's like the self-centered people, but ultimately like are they actually self-centered or are they just like really fighting for like to like feel like understood and like to feel loved and i think that's probably how a better way to understand boomers um and then we have gen x which is more like kind of like pluto and virgo pluto and libra kind of time mm. and that's like they're understood as being like wanting balance and harmony and like being more quiet than the other generations which i think is true because like virgo and libra are quieter signs they want more harmony and balance and then millennials are pluto and scorpio so it's like millennials are like the most traumatized like they're the souls yeah. that have come in with like the most pain and we're here to like shift the dynamics in the world and like i guess what defines uh pluto and uh like millennial like pluto and scorpio is 9 11 so mm. like that's like a really intense thing to live with him mm. so we're like the generation that's shifting and grieving almost Mm. And then Pluto in like Gen Z, Pluto in Sagittarius, that's like, okay, we need to change how we're thinking about things. We need to move forward in our thoughts and like yeah. challenge everything we've learned so far so you can create new ways of thinking and like new ways of being in the world. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So um let me see, I'm just going over it. So now yeah, so we're we're about to we're about ten minutes through, ten minutes to the end. So um we have a few more minutes to talk a little bit. Let me just do a couple quick announcements. So this is Radio for Brooklyn, Truth to Power Show. Um, we're listener-supported radio. So Radio for Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We are apparently on donations of listeners like you. Every dollar helps us continue to stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax-deductible. 
Please support with a monthly pledge or one-time donation or to dog slash donate. If you're an Amazon shopper, like donating in a way that costs you nothing, go to Flickin.com slash Amazon, register to look at your Amazon store charity. I do this actually. It's very nice to help, you know, charity when you're shopping. Um, if you'd like to listen to Radio Flickin, we're not on your computer. If you're doing that right now, um, please download our free mobile apps for iPhone and Android. Fill in the app store for iPhone or Google Play for Play Store for Android. Um, yeah, so we're talking with astrologer Katie Mumford, um, and uh, we're talking a little bit about all the different aspects of the charts and and uh, and the signs and evolutionary evolutionary astrology, um, and all these different things. And um, now talking a little bit about free will versus fate in astrology. I know, like, um, it's easy to conclude, or it's easy for many people to conclude that, oh, you know, then it's all fixed and the energies there's not much you can do with the energy but mm-hmm. i think it like when we have like um you know sure of course there's going to be like um environments of energetic environments mm-hmm. but i feel like there's like it takes a lot of there's openings in other words in which we can um you know achieve great things so right. tell us a little bit about that well this is like the eternal debate in the astrological community yeah. like how how much is life determined by like free will or fate mm. personally i enjoy thinking about free will reality um just because it's empowering like i don't want to think that i'm doomed forever because i have like saturn in the seventh house like i want to feel like my saturn in the seventh house poses questions and like gives me potential and shadow that i can be aware of so i think the potential of astrology is more that it's like a tool to understand our free will and like the environment we're within and how to kind of bend that environment to our like greatest potential rather than being like collapsing in front of them within the environment yeah yeah and i think that as far as the future of astrology like are we are we society that's going to you know um move further and further into signing materialism shed away these kinds of energetic energy arts it's always like it's always the doom and gloom like you know like (laughs) even with the library science degree trust Mm -hmm. let me tell you everyone tells me are we going to do where libraries mm-hmm. so i feel like you know I'm, i i hate to be part of that choir of like people right. who are like are we going to do away with your profession oh kind God. of a thing like yeah. everyone does that to me for the past <laughs> 10 years or whatever 15 years but um but yeah i mean i feel like yeah tell us a little bit of how you feel like where we're going with like uh, maybe we're going deeper maybe it's time with covid you know we're starting to realize we have to turn inward and yeah, I think that, well, I think there's been a big kind of renaissance in astrology recently. Mm. Gen Z is super into it. Mm. But generally in the cultural kind of zeitgeist, we think of astrology as being like sun sign astrology. But astrology mm. is actually way deeper than sun signs. Like sun signs are fun, but of course you can't understand someone's whole personality through just their sun sign. Yeah. Like, So we are going deeper with astrology. I think people are more curious about their inward, ex- like who they are inwardly. And ultimately astrology is the study of who we are in like inward studies so <laughs> i think it's only up from here with astrology yeah great great um so yeah any like, now as we start this again live, last live broadcast so um you know what is going on what is today's uh yeah do you have any notes about today's uh, snapshot or well today mars is just gone into gemini so we're thinking about how are we acting in new ways how are we communicating in new ways yeah how how are you feeling with this being the last pre-recorded yeah yeah i'm feeling good about the last live broadcast i have one more pre-record mm-hmm. uh this thursday 
um, that will broadcast on Sunday. But this is the last time I'm in studio. And you've been doing so, this for yeah. five years. Five years, yeah, yeah. Wow. Four, four years, uh, four years and ten months. Uh, like like a little bit less than that. Like ten months, I did um, pre-records, uh-huh. and then I started doing live Labor Day of 2018. Mm-hmm. So since then, I've been going live pretty much every week. And during COVID, um, we took a break, and then we were broadcasting live from home. Yeah. Um, for a good portion of COVID. Okay. And then we returned to the studio, you know, well into COVID. Yeah. yeah. So like, yeah. what do you feel like the future is? You want to do more? Yeah. More? I'd like to, I'd like to start another podcast, another show mm-hmm. in some point in the future. Um, I'm going into the field of mental health counseling You know, I work at the Christine Mann library, the young library where we met, you know, you're doing some studies in that. And we can talk a little bit about that in the final few moments. Um, but you know, um, you know, I, I'd like to go back into, podcasting later on mm-hmm. um uh perhaps with a different focus or something with a more of a articulate because this this show has been like kind of a catch-all to like you know, it was kind of following my energy mm-hmm. rather than um any kind of set profile because you know of course you know being kind of a new podcaster you kind of have to follow the flow a little bit more than right. you know you're not like out there everyone's not knocking down your door but now it's like now that i'm starting to you know hopefully with this as a testimony right you know we can have a little bit more i can put a waiting list on or something like yeah. that yeah like you but, have gained yeah. mastery exactly in podcasting, exactly yeah. so now yeah. you can like cultivate something new have a new project exactly it's exciting exactly. good for your leo son too in the sixth house you need that mastery thank you thank feel you. good <laughs> good good so um yeah we can end with talking about Jung and the influence of Jung on you yeah and how that brought bring how it brings into the picture uh we have like five more minutes left so we can talk a little bit about that and talk a little bit about what you've learned about Jungian astrology or Jungian views on astrology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I got into Jung when I was at Columbia. We did, we studied archetypal symbolism. We came to the Christine Mann Library. We came to the Jung Center. And we focused a lot on symbolism and the power of symbols in the chart. And I applied that to astrology. And so Jungian concepts of like shadow and inner child and like all the different Jungian archetypes came alive through the birth chart. And I'd say Jung is like the kind of the father of like modern Western astrology in a way. And he used astrology a lot and with his clients. It's like a secret because obviously it makes him seem less legitimate if he says he uses astrology just because of how people think about astrology or at least at the time. He used astrology charts with all of his clients. So there's like a huge potential with astrology that he saw. And a lot of his theories like intertwine with astrology really well. So he's like a key figure. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting that Jung really exemplified, you know, he was a scientist. He was a psychiatrist, MD, mm-hmm. for, the, for the listeners who may not know. Um, you know, he exemplified the meeting ground between the kind of schooled in science and kind of exploring the mystical and breaking away from Freud, mm-hmm. you know, to like not consider the reductionists of human psyche to like base instincts, but rather looking at, you know, the larger picture. He very much understood, I think. Right. Yeah. Like he was an Aquarius rising. So mm. he had that spirit of like going beyond and mm. like pushing boundaries. Mm. Um, I think what's interesting with Jung too is that we're about to have Pluto go into Aquarius. Mm. And so I think that he's going to have like a revival. Mm. So right now Pluto's in his 12th house. So he's kind of hidden. I think in the next couple of years, when Pluto goes into Aquarius, everyone's going to get really into Jung again, or at least symbolism. So that's really yeah. exciting. Yeah, it's really great. And I really mm-hmm. hope they do, because I think that 
the young and the post youngians and all the people in this tradition mm-hmm. and all the people who have been um you know continuing the work mm-hmm. i know there's some like kind of weird stuff around like his generation around you know like certain uh, certain aspects to the generationally how they dealt with you know um gender roles and all this kind right. of thing and although actually it's not as bad as other stuff because he right. had a lot of women who were leading you know but, but there's if you get into it i guess there's less some um, i feel like ewing right. is like one of the less offensive yeah. ones. Um, yeah and i think that he was pretty like his real contribution has been around like dream work and symbolism and yeah. myth and he really understood how to integrate mysticism with psychology. So like the only issue is, and he really built in the spirit into psychology and psychology is the study of the soul. That's what psychology means. And so, but recently we've gotten a lot, like really far away from understanding psychology as like being a study of the soul. It's very like clinical now, but I think that resurgence is going to come back around the soul. Yeah. It's unfortunate that psychology has always walked a line between philosophy and science Mm -hmm. and there's such a pressure on it to be more uh you know scientific you know there's such an internal pressure on psychology as a a field of study Mm -hmm. to be more and more clinical yeah which is unfortunate because i i you know i I do deeply appreciate the philosophical aspects right right yeah yeah Yeah. and yeah i think yeah i mean psychology is quite a young subject and it's like iteration i mean i'm sure it's been like studied for years and years and years and years but in its way and it's like western understanding yeah. it's like a very fresh subject exactly, so exactly it's got yeah, a lot of places to evolve into i know in the east we have the buddhism has the um there's a text i forget the name of it now it's, i was just in the tip of my tongue, but there's a text about the inner the mind and you know sufferings and and uh pleasures of the mind all this mm-hmm. kind of thing i was really like a very diagnostic where buddha allegedly in the poly scriptures right. where he allegedly did a whole diagnostic of the um the mental phenomena, the mind, mm-hmm. but of course, in you know, Western idea of psychology is very different from right. that kind of a thing, you know. And so, yeah. and, and pre pre like Western psychology, we still understood psychology, but it was all externalized in mm. terms of spirits. Yeah, so, like yeah. other cultures see their aspects of the minds reflected outwardly in terms of like oh, the spirit of the river or whatever. So, mm. but now it's like more clinical in a Western sense. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right, so thanks so much to all the listeners for tuning in for the past, you know, four four something years, four and a half, four, four and a half years, four, and a month, four years and a months. And I hope that um, you'll listen to the last broadcast on August 28th and go back to our um, archives at ridgebooking.org slash truth to power and binge listen to or just, you know, peruse as you feel needed. On my website, bjrnathan.com, I have a guide which will help you navigate some of that. So thank you, Katie. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank Thank you you. for having me. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. All right, take care. All right, bye, guys.